Welcome to Living Chesed, the podcast that brings people together through meaningful discussions and shared experiences. I'm your host, Ellie Fishman, Pantry Manager at the Met Council Chesed Center, a full social services hub that provides kosher food, career services, and social support for our community. Thank you for being a part of our community journey. Enjoy this episode. Dr. Virtualizer. Yes. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. you mind sharing a bit about yourself? Sure. What you do? Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, so I am a uh, licensed clinical social worker in LCSW. I specialize in trauma. I am trained in multiple modalities. I'm going to list a bunch of letters, whatever they mean to whoever's listening. I'm trained in EMDR, IFS, sensory motor psychotherapy, somatic experiencing, multiple modalities for trauma. About, I would say about 15 years ago, I started an organization called Maginu, which is dedicated to the prevention and awareness of child sexual abuse through education. Um, I've been running that together with my husband for the last 15 years, and we have a, um, a full program where we go into schools, we train administration, uh, parents, teachers, and we have a kid's curriculum, um, all about the prevention of child sexual abuse through an education perspective. I grew up in Flatbush, um, you know, lived here my whole life. I have Kanaanara of four children. Yeah. What led you? to open up the organization? Great question. Um, so my husband is very, very involved in Our Place, which is an organization for teens at risk. Um, and so being in that involvement, we have kids by us all the time, uh, Shabbosim, all the Yom Tovim. So over the years, I would you know, talk to them, we, have, we would you know, chat very casually. And I found that I would say probably majority, like most, very small percentage not, um, have been through some form of sexual abuse. Um, so, And there was a lot of drug addiction and alcoholism and learning disabilities and on, on, in on. Result. Exactly. So we would um, be helping in that capacity. And at that time, I kept saying, like, it's really wonderful to be in that place and be able to help but there's got to be a way to go backwards and prevent these kids from getting here to begin with. Um, and so I started doing a lot of research. I started to um, try to think about what are some methods. At that point, I was um, an audiologist. Interestingly, I've got a different career. I, I got my doctorate in audiology. I was working. Um, and I started to do kind of a lot of research in this whole field of prevention and how we, how we can do that. It ended up leading me down this whole path of going back to school for to get my degree in social work. Um, ended up becoming a specialized trauma therapist and developed and started Magena. Nice. Um, what drives you? <laughs> what, what makes you tick? Oh, good question. Um, wow, that's a really good question. What makes me tick? I, I guess I would say um, I'm very family oriented for sure. Um, and I'm, I've always been a people person. I remember even when I was first going to college, I always wanted to go for social work and I was kind of talked out of it. Anyone listening? A lot of people get talked out of it because you're too emotional or you're very, um, you feel too much. Maybe it's not the best career for you. Um, the pay is also, they say the pay is not that well, right? <laughs> not that great. Okay. Um, but I always ended up getting pulled, you know, pulled, my heartstrings always got pulled back in. Right. And I can say that it's it's the best thing I ever did. I, I um, That's what drove me to the field. Now, um, what drives me is working with people who have been through the worst traumatic events is really probably the biggest honor. Um, it is, it's really, there, there's, it's hard to describe what it's like to sit in a room with somebody who is having a flashback or is in tremendous amount of pain in that way. Um, it's, it's, it's really indescribable, but it's a real, it's such an honor to work in that capacity and be able to, you know, kind of move the needle a little bit at a time. There's nothing, there's nothing greater than that in my, in my opinion. As a family person, how does that intertwine? Oh. So, you know, it's interesting. I had um, 
when I was, this is, I started this about, we're going back, yeah, almost like 15 years ago. So my daughter at that time was, she was really young. She must've been in like kindergarten at the time. Super friendly kid. Um, one of those kids that I think a lot of people have, which are not afraid of anything. Um, they're the high mailman, high neighbor kid, you know? Um, so I was kind of like trying to figure out how to manage, how to help her learn safety without scaring her, right? Which is always a big thing for people. They don't want to scare their kids. They don't want them to, you know, create anxiety. It's one of the biggest um, pushbacks I hear a lot around education is you're putting ideas into their heads or you're making them fearful. Um, so that was definitely kind of figuring out how to balance what, what it looks like, right? What prevention actually looks like when you're talking to kids and me kind of practicing and learning on my own kids and what that, what that's like. Um, in the beginning of this work, obviously it's, it's clear once you do this kind of work, you put yourself out there, everything starts to come your way. So in the beginning, it was very tough. I would have a very hard time separating the, the reality of what's going on in the world and my own, and my, and my own kids, my own, you know, my own life. I was called overprotective, um, you know, you're, you're being crazy, like all those, all those uh, wonderful terms that parents and other people like to say. Um, and maybe I was like, it's possible I really was in the beginning, but over the years I have learned with my own therapy, because right? as a therapist, you really need to have your own therapy. Just that's a caveat. I, I believe every therapist should have their own therapist. Um, so learning how to create boundaries, like learning how to create boundaries and separate out family life from work life, um, looking through the lens where, you know, it's interesting because when you're in this capacity, everybody walking into your world, right, is coming in with a with a problem because that's the right. nature. Mm -hmm. So you you can you can fall into the trap where oh my gosh everybody's everybody has pro has a problem and everybody's so not okay, but it's really not true. It's just what's coming into your world, right? right? Um, so it's kind of like trying to take things steps at a time, learning how to boundary, learning how to separate, learning how to look through um, a positive lens, which I really do. Even in this this difficult kind of work where we're talking about the darkest the darkest places, um, there's always hope. There's always light. There's always a place to find the good, and that took a lot of time. Um, but you know, thank God I am I'm there now. Beautiful. Can you share? an interesting or heartful story that you experienced? An interesting or heartfelt story related to... Um, in your life. In my life. <laughs> um, it's a lot of stories. Um, let me think of one that would be, would be uh, kind of in this world that we're talking about. You could think and I could yeah. delete the space. Yeah, so. okay. Um, so, okay, so I will say that... Um, when it comes to, it, it's, I, I find that this work of prevention and education, um, I believe very strongly that I have signs all the time from Hashem that push me to keep doing this work. I see it over and over again in like really very, very interesting ways. Um, one story is I had, um, I used to, I did for two years in a row, we did um, something called Safety Day in the summer. Um, like right in the beginning of the summer where I had, um, you know, it was, in, I think it was in Marine Park and then it was in Floyd Bennett Fields where we gathered together um, Hatsala and Shomrim and, um, and NYPD and everybody together so we can get people to come to sort of like a carnival. And then we would do um, prevention promotion at the, at the carnival also, like have a booth teaching safety education, um, made it a little bit easier for people to digest where it's not just that topic, exactly. it's everything. Um, and I, we worked really hard um, on this event it was a lot, a lot, a lot of work, um, exhausting. And we got to this, this event and there was, and okay, I kept, I was, it was, it was a lot. There was a lot that went on, a lot of behind the scenes. And I, at one point I was like, oh gosh, like, is this worth it? Like, is this worth it? What are we doing here? Like, there was so much going on. And did I, did I, did anything happen from it? And I had, for one. example, what went on? Oh gosh! So we were at one point we thought we'd be able to um, charge a cover charge to cover the cost of everything. Then we were told we're not allowed to charge according to the city. We weren't allowed to charge. So then we decided, okay, great, maybe we'll um, do raffles. But then we were told that wasn't okay. Um, people were supposed to show up that didn't show up. It, you know, anyone who runs events will tell you that these are the kinds of things that happen. Um, and and for the most part, 
a lot of the stuff I'm doing on my own, you know, I have like all these volunteers that help me. So there was a lot and we ended up having to, we ended up spending a lot of our own money out of our own pocket to do this, which, you know, in the end is what it is. But at the time it was like, oh gosh, like, what are we going to do here? Um, and then I found out that one, I had spoken to one of my therapists who, a colleague of mine who was helping me at this, at this booth, you know, for the prevention where this one parent had gone there with her child where, um, uh, this child had been, had been sexually abused by a family member and they really had no idea what to do, where to turn. And at that, in that time frame, they had seen an advertisement that we were doing this event. Um, and they came specifically to the event to find like that specific area. Um, and we were able to get this child into therapy and get the, get, get this kid the help they needed at that place. And it was, to me, felt like the entire event happened for that one kid. And those kinds of things happen to me a lot. Like they happen to me a lot. Um, another example of that was that I, um, I do prevention work as a whole for, you know, for, for kids and for parents and adults. Um, I had studied at one point, I decided, you know, the, the, the developmentally delayed community are victimized. Like, I think it's, it's probably triple the amount, right. In terms of research, for many reasons, we could talk about that probably for hours, but that's, that, those are the facts. And I, and it's a whole nother way, a whole nother world of teaching that population prevention. And so I just, you know, I got this in my head where I wanted to, you know, just one day I got this in my head. I wanted to learn more about that. And I saw, I, I did a lot of research. I ended up spending about three days just immersed in studying that, that what to do, how to speak to that population, what that looks like, what that means. On the fourth day after I finished it, I got a phone call from a parent in, in a school of kids who were developmentally delayed where a specific abuse case happened and what do we do exactly based on everything I just learned three days before. Those kinds of things happen to me all the time. It's like Hashem led you to do certain things and you had no idea why you're doing it, but then you figured it out. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Are people taking this issue seriously as they should? <laughs> so yes and no. Um, I would say that over the last, um, I would say literally over the last, I'm even going to say six months, not even so long, I do see a shift. I have seen a shift in terms of um, people reaching out for education and for and being you a little You said how long? Six months. Six months. Yeah, which is Relatively interesting. new. Relatively new, yes. Okay. Um, you know, which is pretty cool. I think the more... the more What well, just happened? It's, very, it's interesting. I don't know if anything specific happened. I think it's a culmination of many different things. Um, one thing I really try to stay away from is, is specific um, cases that are very, like, big and become part of, like, the culture of, like, our community. Those are what people usually hold on to. Those are the cases that usually people push people to want to know more. It's, 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 it makes sense, you know, from a human perspective that those are the cases that people, you know. Why do you keep yourself out of that, those cases? Um, I keep myself out in the sense of talking about them, doing like, you know, very like, I'm not, I'm not a huge um, kind of yelling from the rooftops. Is it the gossip that you don't like? I hate gossip. I think it's completely um, uh, unproductive. It doesn't right. actually do anything. I think it creates um, two things. The fear factor right? That concept of everyone really, really like paralyzing fear for their kids. And I think that that actually works against us in terms of, in terms of prevention, because locking a child up and putting them in a bubble doesn't work and only creates anxiety in, in the child. And actually it's really counterintuitive for a billion other mental health issues, right? Or it pushes people to be like, well, you know, that's, that probably doesn't happen, right? Like it, it either goes like the total extreme or the other way of pushing it away. You don't have to answer this, but can you give, give an example of a case that everybody knows that you wouldn't like to, taking like, on? To, yeah, sure. Um, well, it's not even necessarily when I say taking on, I, I mean, what I mean when I say that is taking on as in terms of like... Education? No, education always. I'm always going to look for the education piece in what, in what comes up. 
but I'm never going to be the one yelling about um, this person's terrible and let's do this and let's get that. And that's that's never where I'm going. I think it takes away from the this actual This person meaning leaders in the community, etc. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Other so therapists. Like, exactly, or... right. So let's so a case that that um, everybody's familiar with for the most part, I think, is the Chaim Walder case, right? Um, there's a lot to learn from that case, a ton. There's a ton of education to pull from that case for ourselves and what we need to know. Um, but to get stuck in the details of his life, per se, or the gossip around it, is not to me, isn't, isn't the education part. It's really learning. It, it's not productive. It doesn't do anything. Right, it doesn't, so exactly, exactly. It's, it's interesting. It's an interesting story. But, right. Uh, and it, all, it pushes people to um, then, pers- you know, if, if the purpose is to push people to one education, then great, right, then great. But then you're talking about, okay, awesome, let's figure out now how what to learn from here. And my um, my fear, I guess I would call it, is around those kinds of cases, is they're very big cases, right? These are like um, the kinds of cases where it's like, you know, it feels so scary and big and, and like, how could this be? When in reality, the reality of the situation is that majority, majority of people that are abused are abused by somebody in their families, close family, friends, neighbors, that is 90% of the cases. That's actually my next question. Who are the abusers? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 90% are people that are really close to you and your kids. 10% are the strangers. Right? Really? Yeah. 90%, 90% are, are who? Cousins, uncles, brothers, aunts, next door neighbors. Yeah. Those are the majority of the abusers. That's the, those are the cases. But if you think about it, it makes sense, right? Let's think about it. Um, People that are potential predators are looking for children that are available and vulnerable. So any child that's in your own world is that fits that criteria, right? It's going to be much more difficult for right. a stranger. The cases of like grabbing a kid, they happen, but they're much much more the, rare. I just the the cases. How many how many cases are from immediate family? Uh, probably about sixty percent. Do you think people are aware of that? And, um, because I think that's even spoken less. I don't yeah. hear. I didn't hear about that. Like right. So it's interesting. Um, it depends, I guess, on how much education um, people are looking for around this topic. I think anyone who immerses themselves even a little bit in the education around this, it's one of the first things you you really learn. But if we're living in a place where you don't really, this isn't really talked about, or we don't really um, understand the nature of this type of 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 event. Then, then yeah, I guess people wouldn't necessarily. So, know. In, in in this community, in Borough Park where I grew up, you usually hear um, to be careful of teachers, but you, we never usually you don't hear people being careful or speaking about the immediate family. Right. Yeah, and it's so sad because when I used to do um, when I did I do um, you know a, a lot of teacher trainings and. I agree with you. I remember, you know, a, a lot of um, like Rabbeim would feel very attacked, right? Like that they are being um, looked at as they're like, the, right? They're the topic. Exactly. Yeah. Like they're that, you know, like the spotlight's on mm-hmm. them. When in reality, you can probably, it's not that it doesn't happen. Of course it happens, right? But you can count on probably two hands or even one hand how many are coming out of, let's say, a, a, from a Rebbe perspective right. versus somebody in in your in a, in a person's own home or in a person's own family. So why do you think that those are the cases that are being spoken about? I think that it's probably easier to even though obviously none of this is easy, but it's probably easier to digest, right? That it's not um, that it's somebody outside. It's almost like the other um, versus thinking about your own son or your own, you know, your own brother or you know, cousin that can potentially be somebody that might be able to do this to your child. And I think that that's really scary, right? Because right. you, especially when it comes to siblings, I think sibling um, sibling incest is very, very not spoken about at all. There's not a lot of information. There's not even a lot of research on it. And and it's probably, if you ask like myself and my colleagues, it's probably a, it, one of the highest numbers of cases that we see. Um, and it is a very scary topic for a lot of parents to think about because these are all your children, right? The 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 son and the daughter are both you love them equally. And what are you going to do about it? Also, what are you do about it? they can't wrap their head around it, that's right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Mm. Which that's a whole different episode of the podcast if we can have one. How to prevent actually prevention? 
Um, yes. Yeah. Which seems difficult when it comes to your own family. The siblings, right. Yeah. But there, you should know that there is a way. Um, there's a lot we can talk about, and we can do that at a different time. There is a way. And I also want parents who are listening to know that if if you do find out that your you know your child has touched another one of your children, the the worst thing to do is to ignore it, right? The worst thing. Um, I just on the way here, I got a phone call of a from a mom who had a 13 year old son who she caught um, touching her seven year old daughter, and so she's calling to figure out what to do, and we're working out a plan. But her husband, um, who also is very well meaning, was saying, you know, if it only happened once or twice, you know, which you know is what he wants to believe at this point, which I understand also, you know, why should we make a big deal about this? Aren't we making it bigger than it is? We're going to ruin this kid's life, you know, on and on, which of course we all understand as parents, we understand that it makes sense, but the understanding has to be that ignoring it is what's going to ruin his life, right? Because this doesn't right. just go away. It's the easiest option to That's ignore. Right. It's the easiest, right. but it's not the best But option. it's not the best and not, not the best for the seven-year-old and not the best for the 13-year-old. So you actually led me into the next question. There are some arguments that are said to rationalize, not to talk about the abuser, right? Um, people ask, what about his family, right? Or he's respected in the community and it's, it will be a Chil Hashem or the community will be embarrassed. Those are two arguments that people try to rationalize not talking about the issue. What right. What is your opinion on those? How would you deal with these two um arguments yeah um so it's a it's a it's a great question <coughs> sorry it's a great question um okay so there's not an easy answer okay there's no right there's no black and white in some of these some of the nuances of what we're talking about um first and foremost the the first rule is that children have to be protected right like that's the first rule we always have to protect children first. Um, they're the most vulnerable in our population, and they have to be protected. Um, so with that comes a lot of understanding and education around what that looks like, what that means. When it comes to people that are, um, let's say, and, and again, by the way, the concept of a perpetrator could in itself be an entire, we could talk about that probably for a few hours, because there are multiple types of perpetrators. There are people that are attracted to younger kids, there are uh, that are called pedophiles, there are hebophiles that are attracted to older kids, there are situational perpetrators, there are preferential um, perpetrators, um, there are different reasons for their intrinsic motives. Um, so not so in saying that, what I'm, what I'm really saying is that not all perpetrators are equal. Right. Okay. Um, so so the question here from my perspective is more about understanding like getting having education and understanding around what we're actually looking at in order to then do the best prevention possible i'm going to say something now that's going to be probably controversial to a lot of people because um for the most part saying you know all perpetrators should be um you know no matter what happens at all times should be ostracized isolated not around you know any people and and you know you know in that way so that line of thinking, I totally understand because it's, you know, you don't want them to ever hurt a child and children should always children be protected. first. Exactly, like yeah. exactly. However, if you do any research on how this actually works, um, somebody who has an inclination to, to um, do something like this, isolating them actually oftentimes makes it worse right not better yeah. so if we're really looking at it, how it to, depends on what the reason he's abusing right? It, right what's his mental illness that's right what's going on behind the behind, behind the, the piece how he's wired yeah how he's wired exactly and so or she or anyone exactly yes because women yeah female perpetrators are definitely on the rise um and so what we really need to look at is a bigger picture of what's going to be the safest if we're looking at literally prevention for children we want to know all the methods of prevention how can we really um you know keep kids safe from all methods and some of that might look like you know if there's somebody that we know who who has who is guilty of something like this let's say for example on a shabbos morning should only be davening in an adult only minion right they should yes, have i've actually heard the an idea of davening in a in a old age home. Yeah. 
Exactly, which is a great, great idea, yeah. right? There's concepts called like um, having like a safety, almost like a shomer, where people are in charge in a, in a community, right. let's say during shul, where somebody, right? But all of these methods require people to know what's going on. So prevention is not secret. only dealing with the kids, it's also dealing with the perpetrators and how to, where, how they should continue living their lives exactly. in order they should... Right, because shouldn't if, abuse again. That's right, because if we're only gonna, if we're not gonna, if we're gonna, if we're gonna forget that entire piece, then we're never gonna really solve. We're not really gonna save the kids we can save, right? right. Because we're only fo- first of all, number one, also because we're as parents and as adults, we can't watch kids twenty four seven, and we teach children as much as we can, but children are never responsible for their own safety, right? So if we're thinking about prevention as a whole, we have to think of everything. We gotta think of all methods that are going to be helpful. And the first step is to acknowledge that this actually happens, to acknowledge that there are people that do have a um, have this propensity to do something like this, that there are a lot of teenagers that are struggling with their you know, curiosity and their development, and they may attempt to do something like this because they are trying to figure out, you know, their own their own stuff, or they themselves have been exposed. Um, we live in a different world today. There's a lot of exposure. Children are very, um, they're very good at modeling behavior, and so we're seeing a lot of that too. Um, we just have to talk about this as a whole, as like an actual issue that we got to figure out ways to deal. Percentage-wise, one out of how many kids are abused? So, so the numbers the numbers are pretty high. Um, in the secular world, the numbers are one out of six, um, one out of six girls, and one out of four. I'm sorry, one out of six boys and one out of four girls. Okay, Darkness to Light, which is an organization does does research, is one out of ten kids. They do boys and girls together, so they do one out of ten kids. Um, in the Jewish community, we don't have specific numbers, like specifically. There are not enough studies yet. However, we do have some. Um, we have about probably, I think there's about four or five peer-reviewed research articles at this point in time. And there's definitely um, a few, there's two or three books that have been published about this topic, also research-based. Um, but the numbers, what everybody who's in the field finds, that they line up. They, they, it's just, it's the same. That is insane. It is insane, <laughs> yes, yes. Right, the average family size in Barbrook is probably six. Yeah. I know it does sound or crazy. Seven, yeah? Whatever it is, you know, it's and that's one of the biggest things people have a problem. They can't be, can't be, but unfortunately, it is. The thing is that, yeah, it does scare you to think about the statistics and how probable it is. But putting your head in the sand won't help. Exactly, and and being scared won't help either. Exactly, right. right. It's we have to we it, have to take it's action. Just, it's just knowing about it and doing what you need to do. Um, that's Going right. back to the question, are there any legitimacy to the argument of Chil Hashem or, or what about the Yubida's family? Right. Um, so the Chil Hashem piece, I, you know, I, I don't think so. Um, I think that we get, you know, it, sometimes our greatest strengths end up being our greatest weaknesses, right? We... we you know, that concept of the concept of Lashon Hara, the concept of Chil Hashem, the concept of not hurting somebody, um, you know, they're all beautiful concepts, but they're not so beautiful when they end up hurting other people. And if we know that there's somebody who is a danger and we don't do anything about it, so then we're just putting other people in danger. We're not actually, we might be protecting the that same person may do the same thing again that's right yes yes if unchecked so that's the thing also the here's here's where it goes back to the concept of understanding perpetrators right um there are different levels of risk for perpetrators right there are different ways that this comes about but if somebody is a perpetrator meaning meaning they have a attraction to children they're not just gonna stop on their own because why like why would they right? it's like anything else um right so i think that's a certain point where what well, you just mentioned that people are disconnected to could you how would you relate to a perpetrator is it he made a mistake like mm-hmm. regular people make mistakes right. right right so what is it with them is it different is it the same thing right. it's not so it's it's a great question it you know for the for um i think i think you're bringing out a really important piece which is a lot of people have this idea around you know, you do tshuva, you make a mistake, and you move on. Um, and unfortunately, when it comes to something like this topic, um, it doesn't usually work that way. 
um, it doesn't really work that way at all. Um, but but we also have to remember that with that's the one of the most important reasons or the most important um, ideas of reaching out to somebody who is a professional in this area is is really important because if we have, for example, like an adult who's in their 40s, right, 50s, who is caught, um, you know, doing or, or a child comes forward, and there is a lot of factors around the case, you could probably be sure that this kid's not the only kid um, who, who's a victim of this person, right? And this, and, and depending on the circumstances of what's going on, um, there's a very good chance that this person really needs to um, be confronted, you know, be, you know, I'm going to say reported even, right? Because I know that's controversial, but it's, it, there's no, we don't have a system, unfortunately, in the Jewish community to monitor this or on our own. We just don't. And we need the system to step in um, and figuring out and other people understanding how to protect kids from this person, right? That's very different than somebody, let's say, who finds out that they're very um, impulsive you know, the different type year of old, right? Who like who in a moment of impulsivity and like total like losing themselves does something in that moment to to their sister who they who they never um, they never did anything before and might never do anything again, but might need to like work this through with a therapist. Um, most likely should be there's a big difference in those two people. Right. Now the the sister. It doesn't mean that she doesn't have the same trauma symptoms, let's say, as the other person's victims, which is why we need to take that seriously. We need to believe and we need to get everybody the help they need. But those two individuals, in terms of what's needed for them in the community, is going to be very different. Right. So uh, first, one more time, how about the perpetrator's family? Yeah. Like, is that is that a something to consider before... Well, we reporting say we, it. I mean, before reporting it, no. Reporting it to who? So, to, so if somebody, if you, if somebody um, comes forward that they that that somebody abused them, then where could uh, people go? Let's do that, that way. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. always have to be the authorities, right? So, I mean, it's 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 a tough question. Because, for example, yeah, meaning nine one one. You're talking about like calling police. Yes. Yeah. Or, so, so or the that, justice system. right. So the justice system is. Um, is unfortunately just it's just the system right we we if you know that somebody is a perpetrator you know as a i'm a i'm a licensed therapist as a mandated reporter that's the way to, that's what has to be reported um there is you should just know i just want i just want people to know that it's not um it, it is a very scary thing it is however um it's much scarier not to it's not meaning not nobody reporting. gains Nobody gains not from victim, not reporting. Not your family, that's no. right. That's right. Nobody gains as much as people think that it's um, you know, you're saving something. Well, you're trying to save your family's name, for example. But it, at what cost? Right. At what cost? You know, it's it, and and really, honestly, if everybody in the it's listen, this is a this is a real trauma for a family who finds out that somebody in their family is an abuser, right? It's it's a real it's a real trauma. It's a, it's a whole separate trauma. Um, but in the end of the day the family then needs their own healing and counseling as well, right? This isn't about um, not doing it because we're trying to help that trauma because then there's going to be other traumas, meaning there's, there's, it's, it's a horrible situation, but something has to be done. And the, uh, the, there's a place in downtown Brooklyn called Safe Horizons. That's a children's advocacy center that deals with these cases that comes through, that come through Brooklyn. They happen to be really wonderful. They are, they have, um, they have therapists, play therapists in the place. They have medical doctors. They have the investigators there also. Um, it's a really, really, um, it, it's much warmer and okay. And, and especially as a Jewish person, there's always these fears of like, they're not understanding. They, they get a lot of training uh, around, around the Jewish community. I have been involved with them in a lot of different things. It's not what we think. It's not giving your the victim over to the. He won't be arrested. It, it, it put it this way: if it's a sibling, like we spoke before, you said sixty percent could be siblings. Yeah. Um, sixty percent could be a family member. Family member. A third members. of the cases are adolescents. Okay. Should should the mother go to a and it's and it's impulsive? Let's say the perpetrator is impulsive. It happened once. Right. I can hear somebody wanting to go to a therapist to see if this person can be treated, right? She, want, she doesn't want to go to a to authority yet. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And um, especially when it's in the family, 
so people are scared like that, that their, their child's going to be reported, right? That you're going to report their, their adolescent child, right? So really in reality, um, again, very complicated and not every case is the same. So I'm not, so, you know, putting a disclaimer out there that this isn't, this, this isn't the case for every case. Every case is very different, but what we could, what we could talk about or think about is that when we think about calling, let's say uh, child protective services, Child protective services is to make sure the kid is safe. It's on it's on parents, meaning it's not it's it's calling on on a parent for not keeping their kid safe, right? So if if a parent finds out that their teenage son or teenage daughter um, did something to their sexually to their younger child, and they get the family into therapy, they get this kid into therapy, they get the younger kid into therapy, and they're dealing properly with the whole case the likelihood that has to be reported isn't is pretty low a lot of a lot so of families you can reach out to child services and they'll guide you and it won't get it won't need to go right further exactly into... because the whole point of what they're trying to do it doesn't even have to be reported per se right like it depends on the case every case is very different but it has to be reported if the parents aren't doing what they need to do so a great example of this is like for example if um if let's say a child comes forward that their uncle did something to them, right? Um, and in that case, the parents bring this child to therapy. The, the therapist is not going to call um, child, child services because the uncle abused the kid, right? That If the, if the parents want to um, go after this person for, you know, in terms of law, that's like a police call, that's an investigation, that's something else. However, if the parents then go to, let's say, the family Hanukkah party mm. and this uncle is at the party, and they know what happened, and then this uncle had access to the child at the party, then the therapist has to report the parents for not keeping the child safe. So you're not even reporting the uncle, you're reporting the parents for not keeping this child safe, which I know sounds insane, but that's the whole concept of child services is to is to keep the children safe in their homes. Right. It, it, it makes sense. The only thing is that it could prevent people from going to therapy. Does that make sense? It could if there's if people don't really understand the purposes of what's going on, right? Because if you think about it from the perspective of a parent who comes in and says, listen, something's going on here, <clears throat> right? Why are they walking into therapy? They're walking in because something's wrong and they're seeing they're seeing symptoms. They don't want this to mm-hmm. go on. They're struggling. And so they're reaching out for help. In that moment, if you're if you're with the right therapist who knows what they're doing in this in this piece, and again, not not all of them do. Like you have to know somebody that actually has experience in this field in this part of the field, if let's say a therapist has to call, they have to report. It's the same thing, by the way, if you think about a parent who's beating their child, right? Um, if there's marks on the child or whatever it is, and the parent's right. coming in for help, but the, the therapist might still have to report because now they're mandated. In that moment, the parent and the therapist could make the call together. They're call, they can call child mm-hmm. services together and be like, this is what's happening. We're trying to get help. It doesn't mean that the parent's going to be carted off to jail or that the kid's going to be torn out of the house. They're not looking right. to take Right, I think that's an important house. point. Yeah. yeah. So people shouldn't be scared. They could work with you, not against that's you. That's always the goal. And and for the most part, listen, there are definitely horror stories that people have around child services, for sure. I'm sure there are people that have it, and they're the ones, you know, come out, like, never cool, they're terrible. But honestly, there are much more stories, there are many, many more stories where it's fine. Child Protective Services, their goal is to keep kids at home. They don't have room for all these kids. They don't. They're not interested in pulling a religious kid out of a religious home to put them into a non-Jewish home. What are they going to? What are they going to do there? It's not their ultimate goal. The goal is to figure out how to make the environment safe. So if a parent is in therapy and they're doing, they're checking all the boxes and they're working with somebody, then they're not going to. They're not going to want to take that kid out. And I can tell you just from experience, um, there are many cases where you, by the time child services takes a kid out of a house. You really want them out of that house. Uh-huh. It is such a process for them to do that. It, it, it's a real process. I mean, it, it doesn't just happen like that. And so by that point already, as a human being, you probably would want that. And so that's something that people have to keep in mind too. Like people are very afraid to call. You know, I had a, I had a very, it brings me, it brings to mind the really, there's a really sad case where, um, this little girl was in, in school and she, um, it's a whole story. I'll change some of the details so it doesn't, um, so so nothing comes back identifying. But basically, the gist of it was this girl was living with her mother, and um, the mother was an alcoholic and was doing all sorts of really um, not like inappropriate things, bringing strange men into the house. Um, you know, a lot of things going on in that house. You know, physical abuse, neglect, and this kid was in therapy, seeing um, an intern. 
Um, and she was in a regular base of school type school. And a lot of people kind of heard what was going on, but everybody was afraid to report it. Right. Um, I think even at one point, Hatzala was called to her house at some point. Um, for something that happened, and and everybody was afraid to report it because everybody had the same idea of what's going to happen if we report this. And this child is stuck in this situation, and we had somebody that was willing to take the child. There was a family member that was willing to take the child. There was there was things to do, but nothing was being done because everybody was afraid. And and what I and I what I really want people people to hear is that it's true. If the school would have called, would anything have happened? Maybe not. But they would have logged that call, right? If then the um, if then the therapist would have called it in, so then it would be another call, right? If the Hatzala member would have called, so then it would be another call. And now you have like a pattern that wouldn't have been able to be ignored. But because everybody's afraid, so now you have a child in a very very difficult situation where she's you know there's a lot going on there, and the the fear that we have, I get the fear, but there are ways. To, there are ways to manage this where it doesn't have to be fear-based. It can be education-based. What are the steps? What will happen? What do I do here? Um, is it always a good ending? No. But if ignoring it for sure isn't a good ending. Is, is, is Magenu a good contact to reach out to the first contact? Like somebody finds something out, they're scared. So I would say that if somebody finds something out about um, like an actual situation around um, knowing that somebody's perpetrating, like let's say an adult, Magenu is not the place to call because that is something that really needs to be reported, right? Um, that I wouldn't report it to whom? Where to should the, a to person? the authorities? Meaning, mm-hmm. meaning if you find out that that you know an adult is sexually abusing a child, you have to report it to social services, mm-hmm. to the police. How about um, just for guidance? Right? Some people don't know. Should yeah. I report it? Where should I report it? So for guidance, right. yeah, they can call me. I'm sh- I think probably Amudim deals with this kind of, these kind of cases as well. Um, I get a lot of calls from parents around child-to-child abuse, a lot of calls around parents calling, saying, and from schools, like around, you know, this child touched this child, you know, what do I do? Those are cases that I deal with a lot um, because those are very nuanced. What's happening to the child? You know, where is this coming from? Um, there are a lot of... Um, there's like developmental norms per se, right? There's developmental norms physically and also sexually. So sometimes there are certain therapists, let's say, that will say, oh, you know, um, well, that's normal, right? Like that's a normal development. Oh, they're they're playing doctor or they're looking at each other. Well, that's normal for that age. Well, that might be true, right? That might be true. However, if the child though is, let's say, putting objects inside of a person's body, that's not developmentally normal. If the child's saying certain words that feel like a little trickery that they couldn't have learned on their own, that's not normal. So there's a lot of pieces of a puzzle where you have to zoom out and see the full picture and then um, take it to the next place. So yeah, for those kinds of things, for sure, um, definitely Magenu is a place is a place to reach out to um, and for basic guidance. But but knowing that if somebody would call me and say, I, I believe that my neighbor or whatever is, is sexually abusing their kid, that's not something I'm gonna. That's I'm gonna. I'm gonna say cold by one, right? That's, that's not, gonna be your guidance. Exactly. Can you elaborate? First of all, did I understand that you do have a private practice and and treat, right? And yeah. and, and treat victims. Can you elaborate how abuse typically impacts its victims in a way that's easy to relate to? Yeah. So, you know, it's um, it the impact is is very I say so this is a tough statement because it's not every not nobody's the same right everybody's different um, and there's a lot of mitigating factors I just want to put it out there that like there are a lot of factors that really do do influence the trajectory of somebody's healing meaning kids that tell or adults that have told and have been accepted with um, I believe you and acceptance of like letting them go through what they're going through and and mobilizing for help do much, much better than kids who have told their parents or a teacher and have been sort of um, told to be quiet. Interesting. I just heard a story about that actually Um, from Wabi Jacobson. He said a story that somebody was abused for a number of years. And when he got older, he actually told his father about it. And his father basically told him that he's lying, 
and uh, that it's he shouldn't talk about this and he said that hurt and yeah. all of the years that he yeah. was abused yeah and that's exactly what it is it's you know when someone comes when someone has a trauma as a trauma therapist or as a person you might think that certain things in their story oh that's the worst part or that's the moment and really it could be something totally different and when it comes to a, a, a family unit and the community at large if there is no support if there is i don't believe you or just to be quiet that can potentially be but much worse much more of a betrayal um because you know trauma when something like this happens when something like sexual abuse happens you know the the actual the actual um the actual symptoms the actual uh like uh repercussions is not in the event itself trauma isn't in the event itself it's in how the nervous system responds to the event so it's not about the actual um thing that happened it's about everything that happened around it so there are ways that um you know there's a there are it's interesting because even the way a perpetrator uh, perpetrates will also so you can see different symptoms in kids so for example mm. if um if a perpetrator is going to use a lot of manipulation and trickery you're going to see that those kinds of behaviors in kids also being played out um if there's a lot of meaning like, that the kids mirror the perpetrator yeah, or and they and they themselves are like they, they'll test you you know they'll they'll lie to you about things and like want to see if you're going to believe it or not you know um, if a perpetrator is very nurturing and loving, you're going to see kids that are going to be very much around um, wanting to take care of your every every need. Like, the trauma uh, you know, is stuck in their head, sort of. It's stuck in their body, really. You know, it's in not body. even their, in their, it's in their body. In their nervous system. Exactly. So you're going to have, you know, the gamut. You know, symptoms are um, anxiety and depression and... Um, and uh, alcohol addiction and drug addiction and dissociation and numbness and, you know, having difficulty trusting people and, 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 right? The list can go on and on. Um, but what you're really looking at is somebody who stole their something, like their very soul, right? You're talking about something that is such a, it's such a, um, it is such a close thing to a person's sexuality and they're being they don't really know what's happening right a lot of these kids that they're very young right. um they don't really even understand you know what's going on remember we said most perpetrators are family members right. so even that's even this the betrayal and the confusion is very very big um you know, depending on the on what's going on for the kid at the time, depending on who the perpetrator is, right? The people that are closer are going to have probably worse symptoms, right? If it's a really immediate family member, um, there are so many levels, and that's why it's very hard to say. You, know, you can you can you can look it up, and you'll find like a list of symptoms, right? right? But the reality of it is, is that it really it destroys a sense of self. It destroys a sense of trust. Most perpetrators are really good at convincing kids that it's, they're the ones who asked for it, they wanted it, they're fine with it. Um, there's a whole survival response that goes on in someone's brain, a fight, you know, fight, flight, and freeze response where, um, you know, things kick in, where things shut down in order for survival. And then there's that whole piece around, why didn't I say no? Why did I go back? Why did I do this? A lot of self-blame that gets reinforced by perpetrators. Um, then there's the then which leads to um, bad right it's my fault which leads to uh, total destruction of the inner self when you have no self you have no the dead you know, inside yeah kind of right it's really sad um, it doesn't have to be forever there's a ton of healing that exists out there but the first the first place is for people to understand that if you hear from somebody that something like this happened your reaction can be the single most like piece that you can hold hold on to right oh my gosh i'm so sorry that happened to you i believe you are probably the most powerful words for a survivor do you think there is a an appropriate relationship between parents and schools yeshivas regarding this issue right now definitely not there there's so much that needs to be worked through in this in this piece Oh yeah, like, like okay, <laughs> this is a big one. No, I, but I think that's yeah. that's it's huge. Yeah, I think the school systems have so much potential for this topic. It's amazing, and I think parents and schools have to partner um, in 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 protecting kids. Anyone who in which way? What, so, how should the part the the perfect partnership? Perfect partnership. Okay, so here's the thing, right? For the most part, 
we have to understand two things. People that are individuals that have a propensity for children sexually are going to look for places that where their kids are available, okay? Which is why you'll find a lot of perpetrators in, in jobs like schools and coaches and gymnastics teachers and piano teachers because they're going to look for where there's a pool of kids, okay? That's on the same, on the other side of that coin is people that are really good with kids and really have a, uh, like, a, like their, their places, chinuch, are also going to go into those places, Correct. right? So, so we're looking at a place of saying, if we're going to think of it as like, Here's a, here's a school system. They have all these kids in their school. Their job is to keep them safe priority. Like that should be the first thing, right? Yes, academics, Torah, everything, yes. But safety is first because if you're not safe, you can't learn, right? If you don't feel safe, you can't learn. So everything has to start with safety. Do kids feel okay in the classroom, in the building? What's happening, right? Their hair comes first. Their, exactly, yeah. exactly. And this Just is being all. a human being. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. You know, I, I, I had showed my program to Rashmul Kamenetsky a, a number of years ago. And after going through everything, it's exactly what he said to me. He said, oh, this isn't this isn't a safety program. This is a Derek Haaretz program. Exactly. Yeah. If somebody it, it doesn't understand this, they're missing the basic uh, understanding of the humanity. Exactly. It, does, it doesn't have to say in Sheikh Melech or anywhere else. You know? That's right. That's right. And, and from a basic perspective, if a child is not experiencing safety... They're not going to be able to learn anyway. So you can you can teach all you want. You're and they'll be destroyed anywhere. for the rest of their lives. That's why you're allowed to do chilas also, right? Because right. this person will eventually be able to do more mitzvahs. That's right, exactly. So in that, from that perspective, if a school sits down and thinks, okay, what are some ways we can combat this, right? And they have to think of policies. So. When you think about policies for safety, you think about uh, a few different factors. When you start with just physical appearance, you're looking at your building. Does every door in that school have a window? Um, are there any places in the school, hallways, corners that nobody can see where they need to put cameras in? Um, you know, what is it like? In the, is everything safe in the actual structure, right? Um, kids, when they get private therapy, when they have occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy, where are they going? Are they separated from everybody? How does that work? What are those rooms like? What about going off grounds? Do you have a school trip? All those pieces have to be thought about in terms of what are policies that will be safe. For the schools. Exactly. Yeah. Then you're talking about hiring practices. Who's in our school? What are some, how do we, how do we do our hiring? Do we do background checks? Do we do interviewing? Are they written interviews or um, verbal interviews? Do you do reference checks? One of the biggest, um, uh, like places where schools, um, where people slip into is substitutes. Schools are in a position where the teacher calls in sick and they really need someone to take over the class. And someone says, Oh, you know, my neighbor is not working right now. He's amazing at, at you know, Gamara. He would be great for this class. Awesome. We're so grateful. He's doing great. And then he just kind of slips right into a job, but nobody actually interviewed. Nobody checked. Right. It just happened to have happened. Right. That happens a lot. Right. Um, these are things that we have to think about in terms of what are the policies that would make sense. And then it has to be written. So every worker that walks into that school is sat down and given this, this like, you know, these, these policies, including behavioral standards, what's allowed, what's not allowed on those behavioral standards will include touch. Okay. Meaning um, people think people just know this stuff, but you have to say out loud in our school, we have a zero tolerance policy for touching below the upper back. You know, in our school, our policy is there's no um, there's no uh, phone contact from your personal phone to a student. It has to be done through the school phone. In our school, the policy is no emails, you know, to kids directly. You know, that has to be done through the school email. In our school, the policy is there's no one-on-one. You know, if you if you need to see a kid one-on-one, the door has to be open or there has to be another person accompanying you. There, there has to be a thought process around this. Um, and then you have them read it and sign it, that they understand what they're reading and they sign it. You have to remember, schools have to think, keep in mind that people that are looking for children for these purposes, for nefarious purposes, they're looking to get away with it, right? They want to keep this a secret. So if you walk into a school where the school is so on top of it and they're talking about it and it's a topic... It's not the place for them. Exactly. There's other places for them to go. They're, gonna leave. they're not going to want to be in that place. Parents then have to be told, these are the policies of the school. 
they have to be told that the, everybody's everybody's a partner in this situation, so that parents can. Listen, schools have a tough job. I, you know, I, I I I would never want to be in the school system. I think teachers today and Rebbeim today are also parenting. There's a lot that's falling through the cracks. They're doing a lot more than they ever did. It's hard. You know, it's hard, and, and parents want you to sort of um, take care of their kids, but then they don't want to be told that they're they don't want. They, then they're upset when you don't do something, and, the, and everyone's screaming and yelling. There has to be a way where we come together on this topic. Parents need to take the initiative and ask these questions. Um, from a parent's perspective, they, you, know, you drop your kids off at a school for a whole entire day, and we don't ask one question about this topic. Not one question. And that same parent wouldn't take off their diamond ring and leave it with a stranger on the street while they walked away. Right. They wouldn't leave their pocketbook in the middle of, of the street. Right. But we're dropping off our kids. Not one question about policy. What's your one-to-one ratio um, in terms of, of, of you know, student, student to student? Do older kids share the same bathroom as younger kids? You know, which should not be happening, right? Um, lunchtime, recess, break time are the times when bullying and child sexual abuse happens the most in schools, right? Those are times where teachers have to be extra vigilant. It's not break time for teachers during that time. Um, it's just not unless you have to get someone else to watch during that time. These are discussions that can prevent so much from happening. And the lessons to kids in terms of boundaries, healthy boundaries, safety, they can then take outside. Because if I say, hey, you know, my Rebbe really is so um, is so on top of this and he always asks me before he even, you know, if like when my, when my collar or my shirt is all messed up, he asks me before he fixes it for me if it's okay. So that message then gets put into the next person who walks into their life that's not asking exactly. that something's wrong. Red flag. Exactly. Exactly. So in order, so what you, what you just said is a lot of... Um, um, implementations in a school that that could prevent yes um, a lot from from abuse from happening and and um, that probably starts with discussion right with the parents and um, like just in the beginning of the year when the yeshiva starts there's usually some kind of a booklet where they send home about how orientation the orientation right. or you go over this and we shouldn't be embarrassed to have that topic there too because um, the yeshivas and schools are probably a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, I don't think, they, and I, do you think that they, and I don't think so. I mean, you would know more. I don't think it is discussed at all with, um, there's no discussion between the yeshivas and parents. For the most part, no. Unless, until something happens, right? Right. There is, you let's know? say, the danger of, of internet, right? Where it's, yeah. it's discussed, it's, it's really discussed and it's an important discussion. Yeah. But, but um, that's, that it's the same thing, right? That's a danger. It's discussed. This is a danger. Let's discuss it too. That's right. The more we can be open about it, the less, the more, the easier it is to talk about, right? And and the more we can learn and then prevent prevent stuff from happening. The most, the, the biggest for me, the biggest statistic is that after number the number one person a child will disclose abuse to, according to research, is a mother. The number two person is a teacher. Right, that's a huge. But that's, that's a, a huge piece. that's abuse. General that's abuse. abuse. Yeah, general abuse. Yeah. But what that's telling you is that a teacher is potentially a huge, a really important person in a child's life. Definitely, they spend so much time in school, and if we know that abuse is happening mostly in the homes, it really makes a teacher as a as a person in in that place of like being a potential savior. You know, so there are there's so much to learn. But I do believe once we understand that we're not scared of this topic, we could understand this happens. So now what? Now what? Like now, what do we do about it? That already becomes something that we can. Right. It's 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 the message is we can talk about this. It's okay. Let's figure this out together. By ignoring it, it won't get better. It hasn't. It's only right. gotten worse, right? Yeah. Um, okay. So your final message, clothing thoughts. My final message would be that um, would be that I I want people to know that I am I'm a mom right I'm a mother and I have heard probably the worst of the worst stories right I mean that's I do this for a living so I I've, I've, I've in the trenches I've heard the worst and I am not scared for my children. I mean, I'm scared as a parent in general, as any parent would be, but my kids go to summer camp, to sleepaway camp, they go to play dates, 
they're they're out, you know, they're out of bed. I'm not I'm not terrified of anything. I'm much calmer because the more you know, the more you can understand and prepare for real danger versus perceived danger, mm. the less fearful you have to actually be. Mm. The more you can implement your rules. If you be are basically able to say like in my family this is what we do, end of story, you're automatically calmer and safer because you've already set the boundary and the rule. So for my message to everybody, every adult listening is to pretend like this isn't happening doesn't take away your fear. It increases your fear tenfold. And if you can take the time to get some education to learn, and there's a lot to learn, you will be calmer and your children will be safer. What's the, what's the name of the website? Your it's website? magenu.org, M-A-G-E-N-U.org. You can email me from there if anybody has any questions. Um, you can, you know, schedule, I do, you know, parent trainings in, you know, like smaller groups, or we can do full schools if the school wants it. Um, there are so many, so many ways to learn, learn some of this. Um, and I, my, my belief really is that education is prevention because that's, that's really what it is. Comes yeah. down to education. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, we can, I hope to have you back to talk about the actual prevention. Anytime. And, um, yeah, thank you a lot. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Wow, great episode. I loved it. Um, really important points. Thank you, Dr. Virtualizer, Dr. Shani Virtualizer. Really appreciate it. I hope to have her back. And thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you being involved. Please let me know what you think. Any questions, any comments, any advice, any disagreements, please let me know. You can email me on our website, Uh, metcouncil.org slash mcbp that's metcouncil.org slash mcbp your feedback is really important it will guide the future of this podcast it will make it more enjoyable for you again thank you so much for tuning in and please join me next time you've been listening to Living Chesed my name is Ellie Fishman Goodbye.